This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Mary, how are you doing today? Not bad, not bad. We had a, I've had a rough week, but we're back and I'm excited to be here. Uh, surviving the sauna here, maybe, is what I should say. <laughs> it is hot. It is hot. You know, between the monsoons, we get to uh, enjoy a nice little dip in the sauna. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. Yes, well, we have a wonderful show lined up today and we are going to be talking about all things hospitals. And Mary, we were kind of joking before the show that um, this is like not something that most people want to talk about, but when it becomes a need, boy, it's something that uh, if you have done some preparation on the front end and have thought about this a little bit, it really goes a long way because oftentimes we find ourselves in a crisis and mm-hmm. scrambling. So we are going to cover all things hospitals with a hospitalist and author, and that is Dr. Monique Nugent. Dr. Nugent, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation. I think this is so needed. There's so many people that get in this situation. It's a crisis. But before we dive in a little more about your book, let's dive into you. Uh, Tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, your role, and how you got to where you are now. Sure. So I am a hospitalist. Um, what that is, a lot of people say, what, what exactly <laughs> is that? I'm, I'm an internist, I'm a board certified internist, but I only practice in the hospital. I only see patients who require an acute hospitalization. So when I, the short version I say for people is, you know, if you come to the emergency room and you're too sick to leave, but you don't need the ICU mm-hmm. and you're over the age of 18, I'm going to be your doctor. Um, and so I really care for, you know, all the aches and pains that people, you know, end up in the hospital with. But also a lot of the times it's, you know, chronic illnesses that are flaring up or we're struggling with finding a new diagnosis for, you know, why someone is feeling ill. Um, and so in addition to clinically seeing patients, um, I'm also a physician leader and I help manage my group and help the doctors, you know, get through their day with what they need to care for their patients. And I really am also dedicated to improving healthcare systems and the hospital systems and improve patients' experience and safety and outcomes um, and health equity. And so I've kind of built my career around hospitals and I'm, I thoroughly enjoy my work and I'm, I'm excited and hope that people can get something out of this book because like you said, the um, hospital can be kind of a scary place to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As someone that's been there both as a patient and as a caregiver, it, it can be very stressful. I want to, so on top of a hospitalist, you're an author. That's, you know, that's a wild move. Let's get into it a little bit. So you have a new book, Prescription for Admission, A Doctor's Guide for Navigating the Hospital, Advocating for Yourself, and Having a Better better Hospitalization. What made you want to write this book? So I actually started writing this in COVID. Um, I, I thought that during the COVID pandemic, this would be a book about helping people get through Um, this big change that we were seeing in the hospital and how we were interacting with patients in the hospital. Um, And so I sat down, put paper to pen, um, really thinking I'm going to help people with this big pandemic, this thing we're we're going through. 
Um, but as I started writing, the same problems that people were having during the pandemic were the same problems I've always seen patients have in all my years in hospitals. I've practiced in California. I've practiced on this um, here in Massachusetts. Um, it's the same exact problem. It was just amplified. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up turning it into a, what we have here, which is a book about hospitalizations in general. Um, and so you won't find the word COVID in this book because this book is really meant for anything that brings you into the hospital um, and really can be applicable to any situation that you find yourself in or your loved one. As, you know, a lot of people are caretakers uh, when they come to the hospital as well. Mm -hmm. So I really was driven by, you know, seeing these same frustrations over and over again. Um, people just hitting the same walls um, and, you know, our healthcare system is complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, a hospital is a system within a system within a system. You know, um, what works in the clinic doesn't work in the hospital. Um, and so I wanted to give people some power, um, something they could, you know, flip through and, and feel empowered to have some kind of information and start advocating for themselves in helpful ways. Mm. You know, I, I was just in the hospital with um, some of our nurse teams a couple weeks ago, and um, we we met with a caregiver who had been up all night and um, had called EMS at, at 2 a.m. in the morning and then had gotten to the emergency room and was sleeping in a chair with his loved one who was in the bed ill. Um, and I just, I saw the stress on, on both of their faces and and the helplessness of what next and and how are we navigating this and who are you and why are you here and you know the the many different players that were in the hospital in the emergency room especially at that point what advice can you have i don't want to give away the whole book in this interview today but um, what advice do you have for families or caregivers in this situation and and how they can advocate for their loved ones because i could see on his face he didn't he wasn't sure what to do next and how to make sure that his loved one was getting the right care and you know how can you be ready or even prepared for something like this especially when it happens at 2 a.m right so um i kind of break it down in the book as people who have interfaced with hospitals before and people who really haven't like mm -hmm. any one of us is at risk for you know slipping and falling in the supermarket you know, um, and so that type of hospitalization is, is kind of very different mm -hmm. from somebody who has a chronic illness and has interfaced with healthcare in the hospitals before. Um, and so for people uh, who are caretakers, you're likely caring for someone who has some kind of chronic or progressive medical condition that requires your care and attention. And so, you know, what I say to people is, number one, be the owner of your information. You know, if you own the information about yourself, your loved one, with clear and consistency, with clarity, sorry, and consistency, that's really, really big. Because what you can do with knowing things about yourself, knowing things about your loved one, is you're giving more information to the care team to make sure that they're able to create a plan that's going to be safe, because safety is the number one thing that you really want in a hospital. Um, and efficient and effective, right? Mm -hmm. And so I know it's totally scary. You're calling 911 at 2.30 in the morning. You know, first you're interacting with people in your home. Now you're whisked off to an emergency room. Now they're going to tell you you have to go upstairs. Um, and each of those settings comes with a different experience and different expectations. Um, and so if you can 
own the information about you or your loved one so that people know, you know, as much as possible to make a, a safe um, and effective plan. Um, and then the next thing I say is make sure that you're, and it sounds simple, but take notes, <laughs> you know, because what happens is um, you meet 20 different people who say 40 different things, mm-hmm. right? And then you've also, by that time, forgotten what you wanted to say because somebody else said something, uh, you know, or you're in pain um, and it's hard to concentrate, you know. And so it's an old tool, the pen and paper, um, but write things down so that you have the questions that you want to ask. You have the goals that you want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You know who you're meeting. Um, and this way you can kind of refer back to things and say like, oh, well, the last time you were here, you know, we spoke about, you know, physical therapy. Um, what's the situation with that? Um, and so this way you have information and you have your plan that you can continuously refer to. Absolutely. You know, I think about, um, I think about my grandfather who had a, had many chronic illnesses and, um, you know, when the ambulance came the couple times it did, he'd be like, where's my medication paper? Don't forget that paper. And I'm like, okay, okay. And it's on this like scrap piece of paper and he's written every single thing down. But thank goodness, because he was on so many medications, you know, we would have mm-hmm. never remembered what the blue pill was or the little circle round pill or the, you know, <laughs> so it's, that's a great advice to be prepared. Well, we're speaking with with Dr. Monique Nugent, as she is a author and hospitalist. The book we are referring to is Prescription for Admission, A Doctor's Guide for Navigating the Hospital, Advocating for Yourself, and Having a Better Hospitalization. We're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, head on over online to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. There are so many resources available for you there, Uh, content, ways to get in touch, transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and our guest on the line is Dr. Monique Nugent, and she is a author and hospitalist, and we are talking about all things hospitals related, Mary, Mm -hmm. and you know, we, we were just kind of maybe broaching into a, a different area of the conversation that we wanted to venture into, and that's, you know, okay, we're we're at the hospital. Mm-hmm. What's next? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think, and it's something that I experienced with this with my family and others that I've spoken with at the hospital. You get to this critical point of you're in the emergency room, or you've come in, and there is this this pivot point. So, Dr. Nugent, talk to us a little bit. You, you talk in the book about. Um, should I stay or should I go? And this dilemma that patients have. Talk to us a little bit more about your experience with patients in this scenario and to touch on the things in your book about how you're helping people navigate this. Yeah. So um, 
the the question about whether or not to stay comes up so often. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are some clear cut situations where people just can't leave the hospital, um, but there's oftentimes people who say like, "Well, really, what am I accomplishing?" Um, and so, what I always say in this question situation is, if this is the question, this is what I want you to ask yourself. Number one, what is my goal? What would staying in the hospital accomplish for me that I couldn't do elsewhere? Right. And so the truth is a lot of care can be delivered outside of the home. Um, not everything needs to be in the hospital. But if you're not safe to leave, meaning you can't get around your place the way you normally will safely, right? You're not able to eat or drink. And so you can't keep medicines down. You can't keep food down. You may have like a wound or something that needs care or you're in too much pain to be, you know, at home. And those are things that, you know, can be cared for in a hospital that, you know, you're not able to do at home. Vice versa, there are some people who say, my goal is not to be in the hospital. My goal is to stay at home as much as possible, mm-hmm. um, be as comfortable as I can. And so, you know, I have a nursing system for me at home. I have loved ones who care for me. I can get certain medications at home and certain, you know, nursing care at home. Um, I'm able to eat and drink to my comfort level. Um, and I'd like to try to be at home and, you know, maybe see my primary care doctor or see my specialist as soon as possible. Um, so there's a lot of things um, that can be done outside of the hospital if you have the right support. And that's really what I want people asking them is, do I have the right support to continue getting what I need out of here? Um, if it's questions about, you know, tests like CAT scans and MRIs, those things are often difficult to um, schedule and navigate outside of the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, so being in the hospital can streamline your care, mm. you know. But if you're somebody who has the capability to be cared for at home with your loved ones or whatever nursing service you have there. Uh, or if you don't live at home, you live in like an assisted living or you live in a skilled nursing facility where they can kind of garner their resources and do a little bit more care as you need and have someone come see you. Those are things that can be explored, mm-hmm. you know, but again and again, I'll say the word safety. The number one thing I want you to ask yourself is, am I safe to go home? Mm-hmm. You know, um, will I be at risk in my own environment or or will I be safe and comfortable in my own environment to garner my resources, continue my care? That's really helpful. You also talk in your book a little bit about goals, little goals versus big goals to frame the hospital stay. Can you talk to us a little more about this approach and how it can better frame how uh, someone approaches their 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 time in the hospital and not being overwhelmed by the thought of going home and how to kind of achieve those goals in different um, buckets? Yeah, so I really like this concept, um, and I really try to encourage my patients to tell me what their goals are every day. So every hospitalization should have a big goal. What is the thing we're trying to accomplish with keeping this patient in the hospital? You know, um, and so a lot of the times this patient is unstable. We'd like to accomplish getting them treated and stable. We get a diagnosis and we can move forward. And there's other times where people have different um, goals, bigger goals, like, hey, you know, we may not be able to get to the end of a diagnosis, but we'll get more information 
so that I can continue to get what I need to get to the point of a diagnosis afterwards. But I'm uncomfortable right now, so I'm here to treat pain and get a plan. And so having a big goal for your hospitalization really helps keep you motivated to continue driving your care forward and understand why you're doing testing, why you're meeting with specialists, you know, and what am I getting out of every interaction? Um, and then also at the end of your hospitalization, you say, okay, I've accomplished X. How do I continue the next steps? And that helps you to plan because, you know, getting better doesn't happen in the hospital. It happens afterwards mm-hmm. and, you know, your care kind of continues. But the little goals are really also important because you're in the hospital, you're sick, you're uncomfortable, you're away from your family, you're out of your usual element, and it's easy to get dejected. It's easy to feel like things aren't moving forward. If you can accomplish a few things a day, you're going to feel good about yourself. You're also going to feel motivated to continue participating in your care and continue to drive that plan forward. You can accomplish those big goals. So you'd be surprised um, how much relief people get from saying, like, my little goal today was to walk down the the hall, and Mm -hmm. I walked down the hall. That's a big accomplishment Mm -hmm. when you're feeling sick and you're in pain or you're short of breath. You feel good about yourself. You see that your care is moving forward. Or vice versa, my goal was to walk down the hall, and I couldn't. How can we circle back and get me to accomplish that goal? Why wasn't I able to do that today? Was it that I'm still too short of breath and I need to talk to my doctor and get, uh, you know, the plan tightened up and continue treatment? You know, was I not able to get up from nursing? Was my pain uncontrolled? There's lots of questions that you ask about why didn't I accomplish this little goal? Um, because those small wins will really mean a lot to you and make you mm-hmm. feel good in a time where it's uncomfortable and scary. Absolutely. I have to ask as a hospitalist, you know, sometimes your goals may look different than maybe a family or patient's goals or what you're seeing doesn't seem possible or the opposite way around a a family maybe looking at healing or what is getting better look like and it may not be the same. Have you had that experience and how have you navigated that in conversations with patients and families and if the goals don't quite align? Yeah, that that's happens a lot. Um, I would say almost every time that I see patients, I'm going to run into to that issue. Um, the first thing that I always ask myself is like, am I communicating well? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on here that we're, we're maybe saying two different things um, or seeing two different things. And so circling back with the family and patient and having a frank conversation about what I'm seeing, what they're experiencing and they're seeing what I think is, a, you know, can be accomplished, what they're expecting. Um, oftentimes you'll find that that communication really hasn't been tightened up. Um, and people are getting a different, I would say, um, message than what you think you're conveying as a, as a physician. Um, and so that's the very first thing that I do. The second thing is really listen to what their goal is because, um, a lot of the time, what people are actually saying is, I have an unmet need. Um, and so how can I meet that need that they have? You know, um, if they're really fixated on their pain, then okay, we're not going to move forward anywhere if I'm not getting somebody's pain control. You know, um, if it's that they really feel like they, they want a certain treatment that perhaps is, is no longer appropriate or was never appropriate, 
you know, then, okay, I need to get that information to them and say, like, these are the other options that we have. Um, and so those misalignment goals um, oftentimes is the misalignment of communication um, and expectation. Um, and then the last thing uh, is really you have to sit down, and, and I think a lot of the time people's expectations can be a little different from what's accomplishable. Um, and having time to say, hey, just because we can't get you to this ultimate goal um, doesn't mean we can't get you halfway there. Um, and, you know, what does better look like changes um, over time for people uh, and their expectations of themselves and also what they're able to have and be supported with at home. Um, and so, again, having that conversation and trying to set realistic expectations. But there will be times that, you know, that is a much harder process um, than it sounds like. That is such a, a vital point in that communication. We always say it's important, but correct communication and understanding really does go a long way. And especially in a situation when you're dealing with uh, a crisis or trying to understand where you are mm -hmm. in your care journey. We're speaking with Dr. Monique Nugent. She is an author and hospitalist. Her book is Prescription for Admission, and we're going to have more with her right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we're so lucky to be speaking with Dr. Monique Nugent, who's a author and hospitalist, and we're talking about all things related to the hospital. And, you know, we said this at the beginning of the program, but these are things that in conversations that usually we tend to avoid or it doesn't even broach our mind, but it's really, really important to prepare for and think of because there's just so much that is going on when you're thrust into an emergency situation or uh, a, a medical crisis, a long-term care crisis. It it can be very overwhelming. And Mary, we were we were just wrapping up a conversation mm -hmm. related to communication, and we thought that this this might make sense to transition to a discussion on end of life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that many people, when they choose to go to the hospital, the first thing on their mind is fix it, cure me, make me better. I, I, I want to go home, make me better. And the reality is that's not always the case. Dr. Nugent, you, you know, people define cure different ways, too. I, I think some people that that maybe that you um, communicate with already have in their head, I'm not going to be cured. Can you talk to us about how you navigate these conversations with in, in the hospital setting? It's a tough place to be. Um, it's stressful. And, and how do you help patients and families with these kinds of decisions on how cured can be seen different ways? Yeah. 
You're right. Th- these are tough conversations um, for everybody, patients, their loved ones, and also the people caring for them. Uh, understand somebody's um, goals for what cured means um, and being able to help them get to that with comfort and dignity mm-hmm. really, I think, is, is one of the most um, wonderful things that we can do for people. When somebody and their loved ones come to the understanding or the decision that, you know, this really aggressive intervention, you know, uh, really trying to find um, supposedly a cure isn't the thing that we want anymore, uh, that it it isn't helping or someone says this is no longer my goal. I I really want to be able to spend the time that I have um, in comfort and with my friends, family, my loved ones, my puppy whoever it is, um, now the conversation really turns to how can we do that, um, A, where you want that to happen, right? Because um, most people don't want to pass away in a hospital. Uh, they want to be able to pass away in a place that they um, find comfort and enjoy in. Um, and B, how can we bolster the system around you? Because now we're caring for uh, your whole family, your support system, everybody who's going through this process with you. Um, and what I say to patients and their families are, this is a time to have a really honest conversation as a family. Um, sit down and say, what can we do at home, if home is where our loved one wants to be, um, or how can we get to whatever facility Mm-hmm. Um, that they have chosen if a hospice house um, or, you know, a nursing facility is where this will happen. Or if somebody is too ill to leave the hospital and will eminently pass away in the hospital, um, how can we garner our resources to be here and give them that comfort and support and dignity at this time? Um, everyone has different needs and everyone has different capabilities. When you don't have these honest conversations, uh, when you say, no, I can take somebody home because home is where they want to be, but you go home and your loved ones aren't able to give you that care, um, that's where people get frustrated and and people start feeling, you know, a lot more of the weight and or feeling like failures if they have to come back into the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I see that over and over again is that people go home um, and their support system isn't able to, to really give them the things that they need. There's a lot of support in the community through different services, um, be it hospice services, you know, visiting nurses. Uh, there are also community-based organizations that your case managers may know about. If you're telling people what you need, they're going to be able to rally and get you resources. And that's really what this is about, is to get as much help as possible. Because the process of caring for somebody who is um, dying is a lot more cumbersome than people may realize. You know, not only are you dealing with emotions, you know, but there's a lot of logistics. Mm-hmm. And there may be medications, there may be, you know, um, uncontrolled pain, there may be needs oh, that people have that need to be met uh, more acutely. And so have an open and honest conversation with your care team. And this is where case managers, and those are the people in the hospital who help navigate um, the medical needs and the insurance in the community. This is where they really shine. 
I think that's uh, a great segue. Can you talk to us about what is the care team in this hospital setting? You keep using that word. And you talk in your book about being the driver of your care and advocating for yourself while you're in the hospital. How can the care team, you've touched on it just a little bit, what does that care team look like and how can that care team really help you um, drive your situation and how can you utilize and lean on them as a caregiver or as a patient to help you in some of these situations? What does that care team look like? Yeah, so caring for a patient in the hospital um, has so many different facets. There's the medical facets, um, there's the social facets, the financial facets, the the, um, insurance facets. There's so many different pieces that need to come together to care for a patient in the hospital. So your care team is going to be made up of, you know, like the medical team, the people who are making the plan for you, your physician, um, your nurse, whatever specialists are seeing you, nurse practitioners or physician assistants who work with those specialists and with those physicians, you know, that's the medical part of the team. They're going to sit down and say, like, these are the medicines, these are the labs, and they're going to be driving and creating a plan. Um, the social part of the team are, are going to be the people who can sit down and look at your social situation and say, these are the things that you need to be successful out of the hospital. Um, so planning for a patient's discharge starts when the patient is admitted. Um, and I know people kind of bristle when they get admitted and somebody comes in and starts asking them about their home situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we don't have this information, then we're not going to be able to plan throughout your hospitalization for what matches your capabilities and your needs after the hospital, right? And so the social workers, you know, there are a lot of people who need more intensive social support, you know, like they may have problems getting food at home, meals on wheels or elder services. Um, those are things that go through social workers. And, you know, there are um, other times where people may need things like if they're in an abusive situation, social workers are, again, able to put them in contact with things in the community. Um, and so there's the social part. And in between that social and medical part are your case managers. And these are uh, nurses who have been nurses on the floors, and so they understand the medical need. They can read the chart and say, this is what the patient needs medically. But they have access to all the insurance information. They know what's in the community. They, they can say, how can we match their resources outside of the hospital to what they need inside of the hospital or to continue their care? And then they also have access to all the post-acute care facilities, and that's something we haven't talked about, mm-hmm. the, the rehabs, the nursing homes. Not everyone who leaves the hospital can go straight home, right? Mm -hmm. And so your case manager is the person who has that great mix of medical and social knowledge um, and insurance information and financial stuff, and that person helps you find the next place that that you can go to continue care. And then you have a lot of um, ancillary support, so speech therapists, the physical therapists, all those who are really important in your care because they help continue to tell your medical team what your needs are, where those needs can be met, and help to make safe plans. Because, you know, things change over time when people come into the hospital. And so seeing a physical therapist, seeing a speech therapist, you know, all of those things can help make your plan. And so the care team is this interdisciplinary group of medical professionals who come together and create a plan for you. And that's why I say you meet 20 different people who say 40 different things mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's so, it's such a big team. You know, 
those people turn over, you know, they go on different shifts, they have a day off, things like that. And so keeping all of that straight is, is it really is important to make sure that you are able to keep that all straight because there's so many variables present. It's such a complex equation and uh, not everyone is the same. You know, the, the solutions and options are different for everyone. We're speaking with Dr. Monique Nugent. She is a hospitalist and author of the book Prescription for Admission. And we're going to continue our conversation with her in our last segment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and our guest on the line is Dr. Monique Nugent, and she is a hospitalist who is uh, explaining all things related to the hospital, and she's also author of a very helpful book called Prescription for Admission, and Mary, I'm, I'm going to give away a little bit of the secret sauce. You know, during the break, sometimes we chat with the guests and we try to figure out um, you know, where, where this conversation is leading. And then uh, you both kind of hit on this idea of, well, let's talk about the world of post-acute care. And uh, you might as well have been speaking a foreign language <laughs> to me. Uh, so let's, let's get into this conversation, but let's start with you know, what, what this is. Yes, Dr. Nugent, maybe for Jason and, and myself and all the other listeners, let's define post-acute world um, and, and post-acute care. What does that mean And from your perspective as a hospitalist and also as the, as the caregiver, what does post-acute care mean and what does that look like? So acute care is the care that happens in a hospital. Acute meaning has to happen now right? What do you need at this moment right now? Is it surgery? Is it medicines? Is it a CAT scan? Um, all the things that happen in a hospital. But sometimes during your hospitalization, you're going to notice that like, I'm not doing this many tests anymore. I've been getting this medicine. I'm feeling a little bit better, or I'm just getting the same medicine over and over. And I'm going to have to be on this medicine for a while, you know, or I've had surgery um, and, you know, it's going to take a while for these wounds to heal and for me to get up and move again. And so once all the, the fast-moving pace stuff happens and a consistent medical plan is made and things kind of feel like they're moving in a steady direction, um, this is when people start talking about the post-acute care, meaning after the hospital, after the big, you know, fast things have happened. Because like I said, getting better doesn't happen in hospital. It happens after the hospitalization. And so in the community, there are different levels of facilities who care for patients after they're in the hospital. A lot of people can go home, and that's great. Home may look different for those people. You may go home with a new walker or new medications. You know, you may have a couple of doctor's appointments. You know, but if you can go home and you want to be home, you know, a lot of people go home. 
but there are people who can't make it home. They're not strong enough. It's not safe yet. They're still getting medicine, you know, or they have like a long course of antibiotics. Like, oh, I have to be on this antibiotic for like two weeks, you know, and I can't do IV antibiotics at home for whatever reason. And this is where those community-based post-acute care facilities come in place. Um, a lot of times people say the nursing home. <laughs> and in my book, I actually have labeled them and say, this is not a nursing home. This is not a nursing home. <laughs> so like acute rehab, I don't consider that a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is a place where people go so that you, first of all, you have to be able to participate in a certain number of hours of physical rehab a day. Right. So these are patients who are well enough to participate in physical rehab, but they're not strong enough to be home, right? Um, and so those those are patients who are going to acute rehab. Acute rehabs also can do a decent amount of nursing care, but the focus really is getting you strong enough and safe enough to be home, right? And then mm-hmm. there's skilled nursing facilities, um, and the name kind of gives it away. There are nursing facilities that are able to give you higher level of nursing care, mm-hmm. right? So there are, like, complex wounds, long-term antibiotics, drains that need to be done. And they oftentimes have physicians or nurse practitioners, physician assistants who rotate through and continue to drive the medical plan forward, right? Um, And then right underneath the hospital, there's a a level called um, long-term acute care. Um, And so this is for patients who have a higher medical need Mm -hmm. um, for a long-term. So like if somebody... Um, requires like a tracheostomy, which is a hole um, in their neck for them to breathe. Um, they may, that requires a little bit more care than a lot of people can do or nursing facilities can do. And so these long-term acute care facilities are able to kind of be like, I call it like a half step down from a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, they have physicians, they have nurses, they're able to deliver a lot of care, you know, and so this is a place where patients who need this type of care for a long term can go. And, and so then you have the way bottom, which is what I, you would call long-term custodial care. Mm-hmm. And this is what I, as a physician, would consider a nursing home. You know, um, people who need help with bathing, feeding, dressing, mm-hmm. um, you know, that type of care everyday type of things, but they don't have a lot of medical needs. Maybe they take some high blood pressure medicine, you know, but in general, they just need a lot of assistance to care for themselves with their daily activities. That is a long-term care facility. And so there's this breadth of uh, care that's available outside of the hospital, um, and that's your post-acute care world. That is, I, I can see a caregiver in the situation of finding out next steps. And I, and as we were talking earlier, that's where the case manager comes in. And that's where the social workers come in. And this is where you can lean on your hospital team to help find the right place to go next. Is that correct? Correct. So where you go next is going to be mix of what you medically need, mm-hmm. what your insurance has contracted with mm-hmm. um, your own preference, the preference of your your you know family and su- social support. You know you don't. Sometimes people say I don't want to be at a, this facility is too far for my daughter to get to. Mm-hmm. That's a fair concern, right? Because your daughter is the person you want to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know this this mix of needs. So what I say to people is, let us know your needs. We'll find out what we have available. We'll see what meets in the middle. Um, 
and you know we'll go from there. Absolutely, and a, and a special tip that you shared in your book that I thought um, was you know that not everyone realizes, and it's just a small nugget of this book, y'all. You should definitely pick it up if you have a chronic illness or you're a caregiver, just so you can be prepared. But you you mentioned um, making sure that you have someone that can go out and visit the facility, or if, if you have concerns, to send send someone out and send a family member, or send a loved one, or caregiver, or whoever it may be, to to take a look at the facility before you go. Um, maybe they can take pictures or take a tour. Um, you don't have to go into anything blindly. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And and now those facilities are open. Um, during the pandemic, a lot of the facilities were closed for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you can go and take a visit. Um, and people often find some things that are surprising. They may not like the, the facility for a lot of reasons. It may be a little bit further than they thought. Um, you know, or they may have had friends or family who have had certain experiences with that facility. And then other times people find things that they're pleasantly surprised by. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I didn't know they had a garden. Um, and that might be a thing that kind of sets it apart that like when I go to visit mom, we can sit out in the garden and, and mm-hmm. have a tea, uh, you know. And so um, really being hospitalized, it can be an isolating experience. Mm-hmm. And so having that social support is really big. And that extends to post-acute care facilities. You know, you don't you don't want to just be there alone by yourself. It can be kind of isolating. So if you have someone who can take a look at one of them and find something that you guys like, um, that really makes a difference. That's great advice. Dr. Nugent, as we kind of round out the show here, tell our listeners about how they can find your book and learn more about you and find the resources that you have out there. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And I hope that everyone um, who listens is able to get something out of this conversation. You can find my book anywhere you buy books. Um, Amazon.com or BarnesandNobles.com are, are the two places I, I tend to send people. Um, you can also find my website, Dr. Monique Nugent. That's um, D-R-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-N-U-G-E-N-T.com. Um, and there's a couple other resources that I have for people to download, you know, their um, medication lists and how to have a family meeting. Um, and I'll be continuing to grow that site as well for people to have resources to go and supplement the book. Um, and a few other um, tidbits that I hope people have. And I'm also not the best at it, but I'm also on Instagram, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is that um, I'm the happiest hospitalist. Um, on Instagram and it's the happiest hospitalist. So if you're really good at Instagram, you're going to be a little disappointed at my page, but I'm trying to grow with it. So have patience with me. <laughs> That's awesome. I will say I, I got your book. It's on my Kindle. I read through it and highlighted so many little great tips and um, the little templates and all this, the resources that you have out there are so valuable. So I can't um, suggest everyone to check it out um, who uh, needs it. Caregivers, anyone that a, has a chronic illness or maybe in and out of the hospital or in and out of the doctor's office, there's a lot of great stuff that you have out there. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Again, the book is called Prescription for Admission, and the website is Dr. Monique Nugent. 
www.nugentsoundscape.com. And we thank Dr. Nugent so much for her time and for expertise. This was a wonderful, wonderful interview. And if you do want to share this with someone, if you think it would be helpful, go to WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button there. You can find Aging Matters. You'll find this episode as well as all of our past episodes if you would like to learn more about different subjects or maybe share this episode with a friend. We are out of time for today, but on behalf of Mary Lucas, I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening to Aging Matters. We hope you will join us again next weekend. This has been Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.